John chapter 21, verse 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to Simon, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll just speak to us through your word this morning that we may uh, love you more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to say how nice it is to be with you again, it's always such a joy to come. Um, And the music is wonderful, as Jane said. It's really great. Um, But it is wonderful to be here. I'm just going to take that. I understand you were working through this passage. Well, I hope I'm going to loop back, so I hope I don't um, um, muddle you or you feel I've heard this before. Anyway, and there were two boys who were very naughty, and their parents said to the vicar, an elderly guy, um, could, you, could you have a word with them? So anyway, they came into the, into the, to see the vicar. And the vicar looked over his glasses and, and over his table and said to them, um, where is God? And uh, anyway, the phone rang and the vicar had to leave. And the bo- one boy said to the other, uh, crumbs, let's get out of here quick. God's missing. And, we don't, and they think we're to blame. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was a tricky question, where's God? And I think there's some tricky questions in today's passage. Sometimes things that we'd rather not answer. And, you know, sometimes people ask you questions, and you think, oh, crumbs, I can't answer that. They might say to you, what's the Lord been doing in your life this week? And you think, ooh, mm. <laughs> or, <laughs> or if you're mulling over, I was mulling over a problem with a friend the other day, and she said to me, well, what's God saying to you? I thought, ooh. <laughs> What's God say? I said, oh, I wish I knew. But really, I hadn't really asked him enough. That's the truth of the matter um, when it came to it. Well, Peter, in this passage, faced some tricky questions. Peter was called by Jesus to follow him. You know all the story. He left home, he left his nets, and he saw wonderful things. He saw healings, miracles, calming of the storm, raising of the dead. And Peter was the one who recognized Jesus as Messiah, though it turned out not the one he was expecting. He was, um, I think Peter was extrovert, outgoing, not like me, bold, impetuous. And uh, he probably thought, I'm following Jesus and I did it my way. But of course, you know, Peter failed to get the point of what it's all about, why Jesus came. And when Jesus told about his impending death, the disciples, they didn't get it. And they argued about, you remember, who is going to be the greatest. And, um, you know, Simon says, you know, he's going to follow whatever. And Jesus turns to Simon at that point, and he says this to him. He says, Simon, Simon, 
Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. And I, I, I'm, I brought this in really because this, for me, is a, is a pointer what, to what's happening in this story. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knows that Peter is going to stumble big time. And perhaps you know, we can take comfort that Jesus knows that we will stumble too. You know, it's easy for those who are even closest to Jesus, who come to church, to somehow miss the point a bit, lose sight of what it's all about, and get immersed in other things. You know, church is a busy, busy place. You know, another, I know I'm not good at telling jokes, but another joke that says, you know, what's, why is a church like a helicopter? And the answer is... Um, because the closer that you get, you, if you get too close, you get sucked into the rotors. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, we can, we can feel that church is just a busy place. And, um, you know, what are we, you know, we can sometimes lose the point. But one danger is that we might stumble big time. And, um, and I just want to say to you this morning, those who've stumbled big time, those that they may be about to stumble big time, don't be afraid I say don't be afraid because Peter is held, Jesus tells him, he's held in the intercession of Jesus. And we are too, and I might have said this before, but it's something that really I hold on to. Uh, we read in Romans that Jesus is at God's right hand. What's he doing? He's interceding for us. Jesus says to Peter, Satan's asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And, uh, and uh, that, Simon, that your faith may not fail. I'd like to just pause for a moment in this sermon, and I'd like to just ask you, um, and it won't appeal to everybody because not everybody's good at using their imagination, but I'd like you just to imagine that, G that where you're sitting, Jesus is there. He's putting his hands on, his, on your head, and he's praying to the Father for you. And I want you just to, to just pause and think. I'm not, you're not telling Jesus what to pray here. I just want you to sort of almost listen and ask yourself, what is Jesus praying for you? What is Jesus praying for you? Let's just pause for a moment. I hope that you, um, just in that, you might have been aware that, of Jesus' great love and concern for you. And... And his, and his desire for you. Um, you know, uh, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Simon retorts to that, that uh, when Jesus tells him he's praying, I'm ready to go to prison and die for you. And Jesus tells him, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And we know, don't we, uh, what happened. Peter was about to discover in the passage we heard today that although he was a failure in one sense, he did deny Jesus, he was dis to discover how much more he was worth to, to, to Jesus. The resurrected Jesus comes to Peter, asks him three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Not, are you sorry? Not, I told you so. <laughs> Not, it's all right, never mind. 
but do you love me? And it's a big question to the people of God. Do you love me? It's a hard question in one sense. Do you love me? Probably most of us might answer, yes, but. (laughs) Yes, but. I'd like to love you more or something. I don't know. Maybe there's a hesitation. I'm not sure. In the conversation with Peter, um, uh, Father Timothy Radcliffe, who's a Roman Catholic um, scholar, he describes how two different words are used um, for love in this passage. And I'm going to tell you about it because... Actually, it, it, there's, a, there's a point here. There's two words being used. We, we, we haven't got it in English. Um, but the words are filio, which is like love of a friend or a brother, friend, friend, friendly sort of brotherly sort of love. And agapio, which is like wholehearted, give everything sort of love. And it goes, and, and uh, he, he writes that, um, uh, that agapio is like a, a radical, unconditional love. You're giving everything. And Timothy Radcliffe says the conversation goes like this. Jesus says to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me, agapio, wholeheartedly and with no thought for yourself, differently from the way you love everybody else? Do you love me with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? Um, do you love me, Peter, agapio? <laughs> well, what can Peter say? Because he's just denied Jesus three times. What can he say? I do? No, he says, no, you know that I love you as a friend, Filio. He doesn't answer Jesus in the same way that Jesus asked the question. And uh, Jesus asks him again, do you love me wholeheartedly? Agapio, do you love me wholeheartedly? No thought for yourself. Peter replies, I love you as a friend. And uh, Jesus says to him, take care of my sheep. Then the third time, Jesus says to him, do you love me as a friend? And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know. You know that I love you as a friend. That's enough almost that Jesus is saying, feed my sheep. I'm quite moved by that interchange because actually Jesus is saying, do you love me wholeheartedly with everything? And Peter, poor Peter, who's denied Jesus, can only say, well, I love you. Not as much as you'd like me to, but I love you. And uh, yet Jesus still says to him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And it's almost like Jesus knows us. He knows that we're not enough. He knows that our, and our failures and our how we are don't deter him. We are allowed to be imperfect <laughs> Jesus doesn't say to him, well, when you love me wholeheartedly, then go and feed my sheep. He says, feed my sheep. I've got something for you to do. And Jesus' invitation to us to love involves more than just words. It it involves action. Because uh, Jesus knows that Peter's not perfect, that his love is not perfect. But still Jesus says, I have something for you to do. And, and, and for now, Jesus says, it's a different sort of following to the following you had when you first followed me. <laughs> when, when Peter first followed him, he hadn't failed. He just went and, uh, and followed. And, and Jesus is saying, it's a different sort of following now. He says, when you were young, you went where you wanted to, to go. Uh, you dressed yourself, and that's how it was. He says, when, but now when you're old, another will lead you and lead you where you don't want to go. And it says, by this death, you will glorify me. And he's talking about what's going to happen to Peter. Well, one day I was going through, I was on a retreat and I was going through quite a difficult time. 
And um, I was thinking, you know, who am I now? Who am I now? Has anybody ever thought that? You know, perhaps if you're being bereaved, you might think, who am I now? Something, you know, I don't know, if you're divorced, you might think, who am I now? Something happens to you, who am I now? Well, I was in the chapel, I took off my cardigan, and I sort of like put it on, I was in the chapel on my own, fortunately, <laughs> except I didn't know there was an elderly nun on the balcony, I'll tell you about that later. But anyway, I put my, <laughs> I put my, I put my um, uh, cardigan on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, on the steps, the, the sort of steps going up to the communion rail, and I sat on the chair looking at my cardigan, and I looked at my cardigan, and I thought of all the things I dressed myself with, like um, motherhood, wife, teacher. I sat and looked at my cardigan and thought, what do I dress myself with? And, um, and then I thought of all that, like, sort of being, it felt like I was being swept away um, in, the, in the crisis that I was in. And... Um, and I, and, I, and I heard Jesus say, um, let me, other people may dress you, Denise, other people may dress you, but you're mine, and you're to come and follow me. And I knew that that following was going to be harder than the following when I first thought, oh yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. There is something about being, knowing ourselves, knowing our failures, and being called to follow again. And that following, I think, comes out of a deep... Um, a deep knowing of ourselves and a deep receiving of grace that we're giving grace that we don't actually really know about until perhaps necessarily that, that we've worked through, walked through a bit of hardship. Perhaps we do. Follow me, says Jesus. And, uh, and he says that to us. It's a different sort of following born out of a hollowing out, out of failure, out of some things that have gone wrong, out of a deep experience of grace, I think. Peter's not only is he, he knows and he's fully known, he knows that. And he's not been pushed out by Jesus, but he's been drawn in and given a task to do. And he discovers that, that Jesus, who died and rose again, is calling him again to follow and entrusting him with the task of serving others. And I don't know whether there's anybody here who, you know, who's just got a bit sort of like lukewarmish and you know how it goes with life. You get, you know, Christianity becomes a sort of settled sort of thing. And it's about looking at Jesus again and saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. What is it to follow Jesus again? Have you heard the call of Jesus? Follow me. I was reading about Max Warren, who you won't name because it's my generation really, but he was an elderly missionary statement. He headed up CMS, great guy. Well, when he was young, he went to Nigeria. Um, he felt called to Nigeria. And after 10 months in Nigeria, he came back a broken person. He contracted TB. He was broken mentally and uh, physically and mentally. He was completely... He, and he spoke to a fellow patient and complained of a great darkness. He felt it was in a well that he couldn't get out. And the fellow patient said to him, Max, the word adventure comes from two Latin words to come up against. And he said to him, and this, till this time, you've never come, come up against anything that's bigger than yourself. But you will find that when you do, you'll find a dear friend whose name is love. And Max uh, Warren went on to say that he found that Jesus, in his weakness, and, the, and he says the presence of Jesus restored him. And out of the experience of touching weakness and experienced grace, like Peter, Max Warren became one of the greatest missionary statements in the world, actually. So I suppose opening our hearts to the grace and mercy of God we're called to be receivers of God's mercy, but not just to stop there. We're called, uh, we're asked, uh, do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus knows us. He knows our inadequacies. 
and yet he still calls us and he calls us to follow. We're to be offerers of grace. Following Jesus can shape the life of the church so that all sorts of people are able to receive God's love and mercy and grace. Um, heal the brokenhearted. Uh, set the captives free. Give sight to the blind. And it's important today that we look at our world and we see fear. I mean, fear, fear, um, uh, genuine fears, fear about the climate, fear about poverty, fear about food shortages, uh, fear about asylum. Um, and uh, I was, well, this is a, a, a few years ago, probably about 10 years ago, I went to America. And when I was in America, I went to see what the work of the church there, and there were loads of food banks and everything, and, and giving out clothes and everything. And I came home, and I, I remember saying, mm, well, it looked good, but actually it was, you know, um, us giving to them. Those, these are the needy people queuing up. We give to them, we give to them. And sometimes when I see pictures of food banks and things on, on television or, or whatever, um, I, I, well, I rejoice that people are getting food, but I also um, I, I, I shy away from the us doing it for them. But what I do think, what I, what I don't shy from, away from is us being us the receivers of grace, offering the grace that we've received to other people, somehow that we're all together in this, that we are all um, uh, doing this together. You know, that you, you, you're needy, I'm needy. In different ways, we're all needy. Different ways, we all serve. And um, uh, when, I, when I'm with asylum seekers, uh, I sort of, um, you know, I feel their pain and also feel the love of Christ towards them. So, um, so, so the question really, I'm rambling now. Do you love me? Probably not enough. <laughs> Never mind, says Jesus. I know, I know. I'm praying for you. I've prayed for you that you will not fail. That's the important thing. Jesus is praying for us. But he does say to us, but you come now and you follow me, even with your failure, even with everything else. I'm going to finish with a story, which you might have heard me say before, but some children were playing a game. Um, I think I played Port Starbuck when I was a child for some reason, um, but it was called Dragons and Wizards. And when you called out dragons, you had to run to one end of the room, wizards the other end of the room. And uh, they were going, dragons, and all the children ran this way, and wizards, and all the children ran that way. And then this little girl um, uh, sort of tugged on the leader's jacket and said, excuse me, where do the mermaids go? <laughs> well, I don't know whether you ever felt like a mermaid, sort of not quite fitting, or like Peter uh, in this situation. And uh, the guy looked down at the little girl and said, they stand next to the king of the sea, and they hold his hand. And I think that's the secret of the Christian life and the secret of following Jesus. It's standing next to the king of the sea, standing next to Jesus, the king, and taking his hand and going where he leads. And I think that's a challenge for us as a church, isn't it? To follow Jesus. Do you love me? Yes. Then follow me. Amen.